the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, when Moses asked, who am I? God answers with, this is who I am. Because who Moses was, was never relevant to the discussion. Because of that, even though Moses had failed, God could still use Moses. And because of that, it means he can use you too. In the name of false humility, we can miss this truth. We could say, I'm not worthy, I'm not skilled enough, I'm not spiritual enough to follow your call, God, or to do what you're asking me to do. But let me just gently warn you, that's not humility at all. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. Last we saw in Exodus chapter 2, Moses ran away from Egypt after murdering an Egyptian. He ran away to the land of the Midianites. There he met the daughters of Jethro and started working as a shepherd. God appeared in a bush as a fire that didn't consume the bush. It caught Moses' curiosity. There, God spoke to Moses about saving the Israelites and that Moses would be used to lead them out. Here we join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. And so in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, And have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. I am very closely acquainted with their troubles. The word their sorrows refers to both the physical pain they were enduring and the emotional anguish of just seeing no end to it. He says to him, I am come down now to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large one, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the otherites. He says, this is why I'm here today, Moses. I'm not here to destroy you. I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to confirm that promise to my people. And you know, my people, they may have forgotten those promises during their 400 year stay in Egypt, but I haven't. I keep my promises. And here's the kicker, Moses. My plans to keep those promises, they involve you. Verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, this is where you come in, Moses. The cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. You know it too. So come now, therefore, let's get moving, is what that means. And I will send you unto Pharaoh, that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Case closed, end of story, let's go. That's really where the conversation is supposed to end. Let's go. Because that's what it means. That come now means let's go. Let's go. Come on, let's get on the move. Now, (laughs) there's a part of me that would love to have been watching Moses' face when God spoke, verses 9 and 10. Like just, you know, kind of sitting there with the popcorn. Here comes the best part. And come now, let's go. And you see Moses' face just go, Tunk. me, God? You're about 40 years late. I got nothing now. Verse 11, and Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? He says, God, you've got the wrong guy. 
I had a dear friend of mine. He's a pastor up in, uh, not a Calvary pastor, but he's a, a pastor up in Michigan now. Very gifted guy, amazing musician. He was the worship leader at Church in the Sun for years. We, we grew up uh, as young uh, teenage Christians together. He was just very talented, very charismatic personality too. I remember when God called me to be a pastor and I, I was fasting and praying, seeking the Lord. And I remember it, it, just, it came down to the same thing. I remember telling the Lord, I said, you got the wrong number. My buddy, he's the guy, you know, he's the one. He's got, he's got the smile, you know, he's got everything. He's got the charisma. You know, everybody loves him. And I'm quiet, I'm shy, I'm introverted. I don't know anything. I, you know, all my whiningness. And I remember the Lord said to me, he spoke to me. I was, I was 17 years old, just before I turned 18. I was 17 years old. The Lord spoke to me the entire first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Never memorized it, but just boom, it was in my head. And of course, the part of that is God chooses the weak to confound the strong, right? You know, the foolish to confound the wise and base or the simple to confound the noble. And the Lord asked me that question. He said, can you be foolish for me? I thought, I'm pretty good at that. Can you be weak for me? I got that down. Can you be base for me? I ran out of excuses. And then he said, go. And he does the same thing. He'll do the same thing with Moses here, but that's Moses' thought. Who am I? That's a good question. Let's take a look at who you are, Moses. You're the guy who at one time was convinced you were the guy. <laughs> like if God had come to you and said, Moses, it's time to go, you'd be like, where do I go? Lord, I got this. You step and get, follow me. He, at one time, he thought he was the guy. He was convinced he was the guy. You're the guy who had all the position and influence, the obvious choice to liberate your people, remember? And Moses might easily respond to that comment by saying, that's who I was, not who I am. And you know, there's truth to that, but there's also a falseness to that. He no longer had the position and influence that he used to have. But one thing was true. For different reasons than he thought 40 years ago, it was still true. He was the man that God picked to liberate Israel. That had never changed. Never changed. The problem is, Moses saw none of that right now. I'm sure he probably started rattling through things in his mind like we all do when God tells us to do something. You start figuring out, you know, start, well, let me, okay, let me, let me tell you, know, let me dip the toe in the water and see how that would work. And you, know, and you pull back because you think to yourself, that's not going to work. I'm sure Moses thought, how am I going to get an audience with Pharaoh now? I, I'm, a, I'm a shepherd. I'm, I'm no bit of consequence. The Egyptians hate shepherds. They consider them an abomination. And I'm, I'm not going to get an audience. And you know what, God? I bet if I get an audience, you know, he'd probably execute me once he found out who I was. What's your name, son? Ah, Moses. I, I, you, you may have heard of me. Oh, yeah, we've got a warrant out for your execution. Guards, take him away. Or even if Pharaoh decided not to execute him, why would Pharaoh listen to him? He has no position of influence or power to speak from. I wonder if he probably even thought, why would my own people even listen to me? It certainly didn't work when they, I had, they should have had better reason to listen to me. I was, when I was a free man and in the royal court, they didn't listen to me then. Why would they listen to me now? I'm nobody. But you know what? Moses' objection, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring forth. I, I, I'm not the guy. I got, I got none of the qualifications. But see, Moses' objection is based upon his capacity to get the job done. And you know what? If you take that view, you'll never answer God's call. Never, never, ever. And if you think you do have the capacity and you do answer God's call, you're going to be trouble. But if you take that view, you'll never answer God's call because from that perspective, you're right. can't do what God's asking you to you to on the basis of your own position or resources or skill set. You know, maybe God has asked you to do something. Maybe God asked you to do something a long time ago, but you've objected because you can't see any chance of success. I want you to look at God's response to Moses and think of how it applies to you because it's the same response he has toward you, which is why you still feel that tug in your heart to do what he's called you to do. 
Verse 12. God answers him and says, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token unto you that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. First off, he says, Certainly I will be with you. You're not going alone, Moses. I'm not asking you to do this alone. I'm going with you. And, and you know, if God be for us, what? Who could be against us? You know? Moses didn't know that yet. Paul hadn't written it, but it's true. <laughs> Certainly I will be with you. And then God says this I'm going to give you a sign, a token, a miracle. That you'll know that I have sent you. When you're done with the job, you're going to come right back to this very same spot and worship me. I kind of chuckle when I read that because I think, okay, why would God's sign be something Moses won't see until after he's already completed the job? Like, okay, God, that, that's nice. That's great. But I don't really get any proof until I'm done. And on the surface, it might be tempting to say, really, God? That's all you got for proof? But think about it for a minute. What is it going to take to get back to where he is right now with the entire nation of Israel behind him without the Egyptian army right behind them. What's it going to take to get that? It's not going to take one or two miracles. It's going to take a bunch of them. What's my point? God's sign is very valid. In fact, what he's telling Moses is this. Moses, I see all the obstacles you see. I'm not pretending they don't exist. When you get to Egypt, they're going to be staring you right in the face. But you need to understand something that's so important. I'm going with you, and those obstacles are nothing for me. They're something for you, but they are nothing for me. And so my sign to you right now isn't a miracle, but it's the promise that every time you see an obstacle, you'll know you're on the right path because I'm about to obliterate it. That is what God is saying to him. God's sign is nothing less than himself. I'll be with you. He says, Moses, your hang-up is because you're asking the wrong question. It's not, who am I? You should be asking, who are you, Lord? Because the answer to that question should make it clear that you will make it back to this mountain. Now, Moses didn't really know who God was yet. It will become the passionate pursuit in the future of his life, but it's not right now. Moses had so concerned himself with his life calling, he'd never really gotten to know the one who called him intimately. His reply shows this, verse 13. God says, I'll go with you, and, and I'm going to obliterate everything in the path. You don't, don't worry about it. You're coming back here. But Moses said unto God, all right, well, but when I come to the children of Israel, and they shall say unto them, well, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And then they say to me, well, what's his name? What's he like? You know, a, a name, a person's name back then was synonymous for their character and reputation. They say, well, what's he like? What's he like? What shall I say unto them? You know, Moses' question is heart-wrenching when you stop to think about it. Because what he's saying is, God, when I, when I get to Egypt, our people are going to ask me what you're like, and I don't know how to answer that question. David and Paul were men powerfully used by God, but their passion was centered in one pursuit. What was it? Knowing God, right? One thing of I desire to the Lord, that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What did Paul the Apostle say? That I might know him. All the other things dung. That I might know him. That is the high prize of my calling. These guys, their passion was not doing things for God. And Moses, during those 40 years in Egypt, he never caught that. And when you add to that 40 more years of wallowing and failure, I imagine that Moses had a very incorrect view of God's character. Listen. God has a plan for all of our lives. We know we're not just going to sit around and do nothing, okay? Even Adam and Eve had a calling to care for the garden and the creatures that God had created. He had given them dominion or oversight of them. But none of these things, none of those things, God's plan for your life, none of those things even remotely approach God's primary reason for creating us. And that's to be in his presence, to enjoy a relationship with him. 
Listen, it's very easy to stress out over ministry or your job or your family when you look at it as a task that God wants you to complete. Why? Well, because obstacles then are things that are keeping us from completing the task rather than an opportunity to sit at his feet for direction. I had uh, two dear women in our church. I won't name them. They were praying for me and, and they shared with another woman. They said, you need to tell Pastor Will he needs to read this psalm. So Beverly came in. The other woman had texted her and said, these two ladies have been praying for Pastor Will. Told him he needs to read this psalm. I was in my bedroom. I was agonizing over some things that I've just really been praying about and, and seeking God about. But I was so just miserable. I was just, I don't know what to do, God. No, I, I, was just, I, was, I was just not in a good place. I'm not hearing you, God. What's the next step? Where do you want to go from here? How do I, what's, you know, you got to lead me and guide me. And I was praying every single day, seeking his face. I was so stressed out. The verses that they had me read were Psalm 37. You can turn there if you like. Beverly came in and she told me this. And I said, what is it? She said, Psalm 37. If she had slapped me with a raw piece of chicken, I'd have been less shocked. I have more underlining in Psalm 37 in my Bible than any other place. God has met me there on so many occasions when I have been frustrated or just angry or fretting about things, worried and scared. I thought, I don't even need to open my Bible to know what it says, but I'm going to read it. And as I read it, I just wept and poured my heart out to God. And I said, Lord, all these things that I'm worried about, all these things that are on my heart, all these things I'm trying to seek you about, I've, I want to come back and just seek you. The peace of God just began to come over me and I just started to rest in the Lord again. I just want to read the first nine verses to you. The whole chapter is great. Psalm 37 starts off like this. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. But in contrast, not fretting, trust in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in this way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. But instead, cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself in any way to do something wrong, to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. That is good medicine. <laughs> That's great medicine for the soul. To be reminded what, it, what it's really about is sitting at his feet, knowing him, seeking his face, and resting in him. Not because I need something from him, but just to delight in him. Well, Moses, he says, they asked me who you are, what you're like. I don't, I don't know if I can answer them. What would I say? And so God, in verse 14 of chapter 3 in Exodus, back here again, he says, to Moses, the Popeye verse, I am that I am. And he said, thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. It's almost like he says to Moses, well, what's your name? And he goes, I am that I am. And Moses is probably like most of us, like, what does that mean? And thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me to you. Now, This is the same way God explained himself to Abraham upon his conversion, which, by the way, we know that God the Father is speaking in Genesis 15, 7. And here we know that this can't be the Father because no man has seen the Father any time. This has to be Jesus, so they're both Jehovah. They're both I am, okay? So 
He says, I'm Jehovah. I am. Now, what does that mean? What does I am? Well, it's interesting. God, most of our names are nouns. My name means great protector. Your name might, you know, mean something else, but they're usually nouns to describe what we are. God's name is actually a verb. And it means, therefore, in a verbal way, a verbal noun, it means the becoming one. On the surface, that kind of seems like another underwhelming answer. Okay, God, you are the becoming one. And yet, understanding its full meaning is going to become Moses' passionate pursuit for the rest of his life. To know him. To know that. Because in this simple statement, God declares this. I'm the becoming one. Everything you're not, I am. Everything you can't, I can. Everything you need, I become. God Almighty. We often refer to Exodus 34 as God's glory. When Moses says, show me your glory, and then God declares his name to Moses as he passes by. He hides him in the cleft of the rock. But it's all right here in the reminder of his name. I am that I am. It's the same thing. Unfortunately, though, that's not enough for Moses yet. He wants details of what God's going to do. I want the plan, God. And so God graciously obliges him, starting in verse 15. But before we move on to that, a quick thought. You know, when Moses gets back to the mountain, what happens? He goes up to receive the Ten Commandments and then the other commandments and the other commandments and lots more commandments and then the design for the tabernacle, the order of the priesthood, how their garments and all, how everything's supposed to work. As he's receiving those instructions, what's happening down at the base of the mountain? Parte. It it is not good, okay? They get afraid and then now they're like, well, now we have no leader. We need someone to lead us. We have no God and we have no leader. And so they go to Aaron. What do we do? And he said, give me all your gold. And, and so he, out of the gold, he fashions a golden calf. And he says, here's your gods that have brought you up out of Egypt. I have no clue why that worked. Oh, great. We're good. Let's party. You know, I have no clue why that worked, but whatever. It worked. And so Moses, of course, is coming down the mountain, and Joshua goes, Moses, everybody's partying, everybody's excited, you know, it's great. And then he actually, he's actually worried too. He says, uh, maybe it's the sound of war. He says, that's not the sound of celebration. That's not the sound of good things. This is a sound of mischief, immorality, and wickedness. And of course, Moses comes down and deals with it, and then God speaks to him and says, Moses, I can't go with you anymore. You're going to have to go alone. And he says, I'm not coming with you. I'm going to send my angel before you. And Moses says, how's that going to work? That, I don't like that idea. How's that going to work? And so in the same way here, God divulges his plan. But what's different there in Exodus 32 through 34 is that Moses says, God, I know you've told me the plan, but that doesn't satisfy me. I don't want the plan. I want you. I want to see you and who you are in all of its fullness. And if I, can't, if I can see that, then I'll be fine whatever the plan is. I'll be okay whatever you tell us to do, wherever you tell us to go. Well, he's not there yet, so God, verse 15, divulges the plan. And God said moreover unto Moses, you shall say unto the children of Israel, the Lord, Jehovah, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord, Jehovah again, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob appeared unto me saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and all the otherites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. 
So God tells Moses, when you get there, gather all the leaders together and tell them the good news. Tell them who I am. Tell them what I'm like and tell them that I, am, I never change. He says that this is my name forever. This is my memorial. This is how you're going to think of me, how you need to think of me in all generations. God is always love. He is always holy. He is always righteous. He is always gracious. And this would be a stark contrast to the Egyptian pantheon and their soap opera drama. Do you know that God can be counted on? That he's faithful? That you can trust him? He's not fickle like we can be. He can't fail like even the best of us do. You can trust him. So the plan is to go to them first. And then verse 18, they're going to go to Pharaoh and watch God do the rest. And they shall hearken to your voice. That's the leaders of Israel. And so you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And you shall say unto him, Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now let us go, we beseech you, three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. Literally, that means with nothing less than a mighty hand. I am going to have to do the miraculous to make this happen. And you know what, Moses? I'm going to do it. Verse 20. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go out, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of his neighbor and of her that sojourns in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, clothing. And you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters. They have so much, you're going to have enough to spare to give to your kids. And in doing so, you will spoil or plunder the Egyptians. God says, Moses, it's going to take a miracle to get Pharaoh to agree to let your people go. But here's the good news. I'm good for it. <laughs> Not only will my miracles change his mind, but I want to make sure my people get back pay for all those years of slavery. When I look at chapter 3, God didn't start the conversation by listing Moses' credentials. He didn't say, okay, Moses, all right, we need to have a sit down of a business meeting. All right, this is what you bring to the table. This is what I bring to the table. You think this will work? God doesn't list any of Moses' credentials at all. In fact, who Moses was or is isn't mentioned at all in his call. None of it is. God starts the conversation by saying, I am, and he keeps repeating it over and over. I am this, I am that, I am. This is what I'm gonna do. You know, when Moses asked, who am I? God answers with, this is who I am. Because who Moses was was never relevant to the discussion. And because of that, even though Moses had failed, God could still use Moses. And because of that, it means he can use you too. In the name of false humility, we can miss this truth. We could say, I'm not worthy, I'm not skilled enough, I'm not spiritual enough to follow your call, God, or to do what you're asking me to do. But let me just gently warn you, that's not humility at all. There's a person who is very acquainted with humility. In fact, the Bible calls him the most humble man on the earth, and his name is Moses. Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very meek of all the men which were upon the face of the earth. How do you get from this whiny guy to that? Listen, Moses may just be beginning his journey as a leader, but when we see him before Pharaoh, we see a fearless man. You know, one of my favorite images, the Bible makes it very clear, as the hail storm, I mean, and this is God's special brew of hail. It's hail that hits the ground, and when it hits the ground, it shatters and fire and lightning spit out of it, okay? That's the type of storm you get away from. And the Bible makes it very clear 
that Moses declares that a hail is going to start and he walks out from Pharaoh's presence right into the hailstorm. And he's walking right through all this, you know, destruction that's occurring all around him. Moses, when he approaches Pharaoh, he lays laid aside timidity. He is fearless. See, true humility sees myself in the correct light, but it also sees God in the correct light. It sees the one who calls a person is the omnipotent loving God who goes with that person. If God has put something on your heart, will you let him use you? You'll never be qualified enough, never be good enough, you'll never be spiritual enough. But God, he's everything. And if he calls you to go, and you go, he'll go with you. And he'll make up all the difference in the world. Amen? Lord, as we look back 3,500 years and critique Moses, Lord, I am keenly aware of my own wrong attitudes, Lord, my own self-pity and self-assurance at times that has gotten me into trouble. But Lord, we don't want to be your pitiful people. We want to be your peculiar people, those that you have called out, that you've separated, not because we're all that, but Lord, because you're all that. (laughs) You are the man, you know? You're the deliverer. You're the rescuer. You're the mighty one. And if you call us to your side to serve you, Lord, as we pursue you and knowing you better, Lord, only good things can happen. Help us to trust that. Lord, we commit our hearts to you now. We say, Lord, take us, take our lives, let it be all for you and for your glory. We surrender, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever God has called you to, know that he is the one who will equip you to the task. He doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Do not be afraid. If God has brought you to a place where he wants to use you, let him do the work and know he will see you through. Should you have questions about anything or would like prayer concerning today's message or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.